Hi friends, uh, we're continuing on our series in the book of James. This is the seventh part uh, from James chapter 1 verses 19 to 20 and I've t- titled this, Hurry Up and Slow Down. You know, we live in a time of information explosion. Over 100 billion emails are sent each day. That's more than 10 times the population of the entire world. Each day, at least 5,000 <clears throat> new books are published. This year, the number of text messages exceeded 6 trillion. Now, if we take the year Jesus was born as our starting point, it took 1,500 years for the knowledge in the world to double. The next doubling took 250 years and doubled again in 150 years. By the end of World War II, knowledge doubled every 25 years. Today, it doubles about every 12 months. It's no wonder we can't keep up. According to one person, he said, if you happen to read the New York Times newspaper for one week, you will be exposed to more information than the average person living in the 1800s came across in their entire lifetime. It seems that we're being swamped by a tidal wave of information that pours in 24-7, 365. The entire world is now live and in real time. Stories change every few minutes, and the screens you're watching may have an anchor reading a story with an image to the right, a sidebar to the left, with a screen crawl at the top, and another at the bottom, so that you're following five different information sources at the same time on the same screen. It's no wonder that we're easily distracted. We look without seeing, and we listen without hearing, and we speak without understanding. We are a wired-up, tuned-in, hyper-caffeinated generation. Some years ago, Bob Morehouse wrote an essay called The Paradox of Our Time, and he said, we've learned how to make a living, but not a life. We've added years to life, but not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but have trouble crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. We've done larger things, but not better things. And you know, friends, every part of that seems pretty true, but I was especially drawn to his sentence, we've conquered outer space, but not inner space. Everything we've built is bigger, stronger, faster, and larger. We've come a long way. The engine of human progress hums right along. We send men to the moon, satellites into orbit, radio waves to the stars. But inner space, we're not even close to conquering that. The human heart seems as unruly as ever. And if we're honest about ourselves, we all know that the real battles of life are inside, not outside. My greatest challenge is the man I see in the mirror each morning. When I say that the human heart is unruly, I'm not talking about yours. I'm talking about mine. See, what we are on the inside matters more than what happens on the outside. And that's where the book of James becomes increasingly, incredibly, becomes incredibly relevant. This epistle written 2,000 years ago to a bunch of beleaguered, scattered, oppressed Jewish believers who were just barely hanging on to their faith speaks with amazing clarity to life here in the 21st century. James wants us to discover the freedom that comes when we respond the right way to the pressures of life. And James 1, 19-20 specifically answers the question, how do you respond properly when the heat is on, when the pressure is building and you're about to lose it? Well, pay close attention to his answer. It goes this way. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, these verses appear simple, but putting them into practice is a daily challenge. So let's focus on the three basic commands. Command number one, listen more. In other words, be quick to hear. Wisdom begins when we listen more and talk less. Listening starts by paying attention to what God has said in his word. 
In the first century, believers didn't have all the advantages we have. They didn't have printed copies of the New Testament. For that matter, if James was indeed the first book of the New Testament, they couldn't read Romans because it hadn't been written yet. Likewise, all four Gospels, Acts, and the rest of the epistles in the book of Revelation. They didn't have the Bible on a smartphone so they could read it wherever they went. And for the most part, hearing the word meant meeting with others and listening to the word being taught. It meant hearing, memorizing, and meditating on what you'd heard. I sometimes think our modern technology has made it so easy to hear the word that we hardly hear it at all. When I look at my iPhone, I see lots of apps, all of them brimming with information that flows in 24 hours a day. There are news apps and email apps and message apps, music apps, video apps. <clears throat> Seems we have enough online stimulation to keep us occupied around the clock. In the old days, and I'm talking about 10 years ago, when you got on an airplane, you might actually talk with the person sitting next to you. That rarely happens nowadays. At the gate and on the plane, you see people with their heads down looking at their smartphones or apparently talking to themselves, so they're actually on the phone. I wonder who's better off, the first century believers who had almost no copies of the word or 21st century believers who have the Bible at our fingertips. Now, no one would trade our technology for life 2,000 years ago, but I will say this. Technology is useless and even dangerous if we are so busy and so distracted that we are not quick to hear what God is saying to us. This principle applies in every area of life. Some people talk so much that they never hear what anyone else says. I mean, read Proverbs 8 out loud sometimes. In that chapter, wisdom is personified as a woman speaking to the reader. Wisdom calls. She speaks noble things. Wisdom is better than gold or silver. By wisdom, kings reign. God blesses those who walk in wisdom. Wisdom gains favor from the Lord. But i got to tell you, no one gains wisdom by chance. Wisdom says, if you seek me, you will find me. Are we too busy, too worried, too preoccupied, too distracted? to seek the wisdom God offers us in his word. Now, the word translated quick was used in a slightly different form in John 20, verse 4, to describe Peter outrunning John to the empty tomb. And that's a helpful picture. We ought to be outrunning ourselves to find out what God has to say to us. We'd all be better off if, instead of checking Facebook first thing in the morning, we went running to the word of God. Now, I can't make rules for you or for anyone else, but here's a challenge to think about. Being quick to hear doesn't happen by accident. We have to plan to hear the, the word. We're quick to do many things that don't matter, but are we quick to listen to the word of God? Now, command two is this, talk less. James says, be slow to speak. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You know, it's hard to argue with that. You're not as smart as you think you are, and neither am I. You're not as clever as you think you are, and neither am I. You're not as wise as you think you are, and neither am I. You see, there's a time to speak and a time to be quiet. And most of us are better at the former and not so good at the latter. Proverbs 29.20 has a helpful word about this. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. I remember memorizing a, uh, an Ogden Mash poem a long time ago. It had a neat little rhyme. It says, to keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. Well, it's pretty easy to kill a relationship with unkind words. And how many times have we said something in anger only to regret it later? 
Now, let me pause just to make an application that I, I would not have made or even thought about probably 25 years ago. I mean, social media encourages quick feedback. Someone says something we don't like, so without thinking it through, we post a snappy reply, a snarky comment, a clever comeback, or a well, a mean-spirited innuendo. And sometimes we're so eager to post our comments that we hit send and then start chuckling over our cleverness. Now, here's a simple piece of advice when you're tempted to do that. Slow down. Wait. Think about it. You can delete a foolish comment, but you can't erase it completely. I mean, once posted, that record floats in cyberspace forever. When James says, be slow to speak, he's thinking about our tendency to speak when we're angry or frustrated. I'm sure that you've heard it said, speak when you are angry, and you'll make the best speech you'll never regret. And how true it is. Now, when I was a kid, people used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that's a nice, brave saying, and it works well if you have no feelings. But friends, words hurt far more than sticks and stones, and the wounds they leave take far longer to heal. Unkind words don't break bones. They break hearts. Here's the third command. Calm down. Be slow to anger, James says. And the translators handle the last command in a variety of ways. Uh, ESV says slow to anger. The American standard slow to wrath. One other version says, don't get worked up in a rage so easily. The Phillips translation says, slow to lose his temper. Now, James is not saying, don't get angry. I mean, that's pretty unrealistic. We're all going to get angry from time to time. And the word translated anger refers to a deep-seated rage. It doesn't refer to a passing moment of displeasure, which is soon gone and forgotten. Rather, James is speaking of that deep emotion, which when released is like a volcano erupting. It spews red hot... All over. For you see, anger is under our control. Sometimes we talk of blowing up as if it happened against our will, but that's a cop-out. Anger is an emotion we can control, and here's the proof. Have you ever had an argument with your spouse, for example, and the phone rang right in the middle of the argument? I mean, you're raising your voice, getting red in the face, and then you go, Hi there, how are you? I'm so glad you called. Thanks for calling. And you hang up the phone, and you just kind of go back at it again. That's because anger is an emotion you can control. But notice the progression. If we're quick to hear, we'll be slow to speak. But if we are slow to hear, we'll doubtless be quick to speak. And quick speaking leads to quick anger. The angrier we get, the faster we speak and the less we hear. Now, when Promise Keepers was popular, they published a study about the character qualities of a godly man in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And when you study the 25 character qualities and put them into groups, you'll discover the single largest groups include involves a man and his anger. As I studied the two lists, Paul made five of the 25 character qualities unquestionably related to a man and his anger. Uh, you know, Titus 1.7, not overbearing. 1 Timothy 3.3, 3, not quarrelsome. Titus 1.7, not quick-tempered. 1 Timothy 3.3, 3, Titus 1.7, not violent. 1 Timothy 3.3, 3, gentle. Now I'm reminded of Solomon's wise counsel in Proverbs 16.23. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he who takes the city. But we really don't believe it. I mean, which would you rather be called, a patient man or a warrior? You know, the world rewards the warriors while the patient men change diapers and take out the trash. It's not much of a contest. Solomon says it's better to control your temper than to take a city. 
Now, we use that military imagery all the time in Christian circles, you know, taking our cities for Jesus, winning America back to God. And that sort of talk can lead to some disastrous results, like I took my city for Christ, but my wife left me, or I took my city for God, but my kids no longer follow Jesus. I think James knew we would have an issue with this third command, so he added in verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The contemporary English version offers this practical warning. If you are angry, you cannot do any of the good things that God once done. Did you ever know a person who was angry all the time? I mean, they get up angry, they shower angry, they eat breakfast angry, they go to work angry, they come home angry, they watch television angry, they go to bed angry. I mean, when they are happy, <laughs> that, that actually makes them angry. I mean, nothing pleases a person like that. Anger leads to jealousy, harsh words, and can even lead to murder. See, that sort of anger can never produce a life pleasing to God. That sort of anger only destroys, it never builds up. That sort of anger brings the smell of death with it. And to move away from bitterness, anger, and hurtful words, take Ephesians 4.32 to heart. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You see, friends, we're to extend grace to others as God extended grace to us. We who have been showered with God's grace in Jesus are to give to others, undeser- other undeserving sinners, the same outpouring of grace. See, it's grace to us, grace to others. That's God's plan. We do for others what God has done for us. We have been forgiven. We know what it's like. Now, go and do the same for other people. Now, we're not left to wonder what it means to forgive those who hurt us. But you cannot understand God's love unless you go to the cross. And you cannot understand the cross until you see it in God's love. See, man's murder became God's sacrifice. A heinous crime paid an impossible debt. Through the death of an innocent man, we, the guilty, go free. If we had been there, the stench of death would have overwhelmed us, but the cross smelled good to the Father. The work of salvation was finally done. I remember an old Latin hymn that goes this way, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love or sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Now, friends, Jesus didn't come to make us nicer people. He came to make us new people. Now, if you hear this sermon and think, I should really try harder to listen more, to speak less, and to calm down, that's a good sentiment, but it misses the point. We need the Lord Jesus living in us. When you feel yourself getting angry or irritable, ask the Lord for the quality most needed at that moment. Your patience, Lord Jesus. Your kindness, Lord Jesus. Your love, Lord Jesus. Your courage, Lord Jesus. Your wisdom, Lord Jesus. Your joy, Lord Jesus. Your compassion, Lord Jesus. You see, if we believe that in, G- that in Jesus dwells all the fullness of God, and we do, and if we believe Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, and we do, then we may believe that in our lives this week the fullness of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the grace of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the holiness of Christ, and the kindness of Christ may fill us and drive out the evil, the lust, the greed, the impatience, the unbelief, the critical spirit, and the angry intolerance that holds us back. When we are living in Christ and Christ is living in us, then by by God's grace we will be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Come, Lord Jesus, transform us by the power of your word so that your beauty may be seen in us. Do it, O Lord. And until next time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.